You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. First up, Carlos shares an elegant technique for releasing one-time anxiety using Satch's own timeline. This involves visualization and a change of state. So if you're driving, operating heavy machinery, doing chainsaw sculpture, or performing open-heart surgery, we recommend you set aside these tasks while you listen to the episode for your safety and the safety of others. So let, let's say that maybe in a, a, a day or two, maybe tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe I have to have a, a, a meeting with somebody and it's going to be a tough conversation. Maybe it's something I'm not looking forward to doing and, and I'm losing a little peace of mind over it um, and maybe even a little sleep over it because I have that, that little, little sense of fear in, in my stomach. Um, right. So let's 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 okay. try that. That's yeah. a great one. Um, okay. And one of the reasons why it's great is because it's so simple. Okay. When I awesome. tell you how awesome. this is done, I think you'll be impressed with um, the elegance and, and simplicity of, of how to approach that. So what you're talking okay. about is what we might call one-time anxiety. One-time anxiety. Yeah. Right. You've got a particular situation that's causing, like, you're, you're, like you said, you're um, imagining uh, some performance that you have to do mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. And it's causing you anxiety now. Right. So yeah. one-time anxiety, it doesn't mean you don't have other anxieties in your life, but for the most part, for the purpose of this, it's a one-time situation okay. that you're dealing with. All right. So there, there is this thing that we call time dynamics in NLP. And right. what it is, is we all connect with um, and relate with the idea that time can be stored spatially. Okay. Um, you'll see this a lot in conversation. People will say, um, you know, yesterday, and they'll point their thumb behind them. Yeah, right. Or they'll right. say, yeah, you know what? No, not tomorrow, next week. And you'll see them kind of point their hands forward in a gesture right, yeah. that depicts sort of a visual image of of time going forward. Yeah, right. Now, it's not the same for everybody because some people will store time, their relationship with time in a left to right kind of configuration. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will imagine seeing the timeline in front of them rather than being involved in the timeline directly. Like okay. there's a difference. We call that in time versus through time. Okay. So l- let me just give you an example sure. and I'll, I'll, I'll unpack that for you. Okay. okay. Uh, if I were to ask you right now to think of, and we're going to call up your timeline, just going to ask you for the, the, the quickest sort of unconscious answer. If I asked you where um, to point to your past, where would you point instinctively? Uh, I, w- I would point kind of to my left. Okay. And what about the future? The future, I would point toward. I, I would point right and maybe slightly upward. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, what about the present moment? Really get in touch with the present moment. Where is that? The present moment is right where I'm standing, right where I'm sitting at this moment. Okay, like, so you're like the, in the present. moment. I am right? in the present, like the center of my being. Almost like my my timeline would be that you know, from my left coming towards me is the past coming towards the present, okay. and then from where I'm standing now to the future, the future would be like, like up until my right. So like, I'm sort of in the center of a V Okay. and my, you know, like the V's in front of me and to my, the left, the, the left side of the V from my perspective is the past and the right side is the future. Great. So that's totally wrong. 
Great. I'm just kidding. Okay. No, actually, however you store time, I'm just being silly, but however you store time is correct for you. It's just okay. literally how you identify with it. Right. And you'll see all sorts of variations. I mean, I've heard of people having it stored in a spiral around them and you yeah. name it. Okay. So yeah, the way you do it is perfect. So now that you've called up your timeline, you know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you directly, is it all right with your unconscious to make this change today and for you to be consciously aware of that change? Yes, it is. Great. That's important. Because before we do any kind of process, we need to know that you're totally okay with it and that this is congruent with your wishes. So what I need to do is just close your eyes, get comfortable, because now I want you to float up above that timeline that you just visualized. Get high above your timeline. And I want you to turn towards the future and just float along into the future until you reach that point in your timeline, which is 15 minutes past the successful completion of that event that you were thinking of. You know, the event that was causing the anxiety. As soon as you reach 15 minutes past that event, and you can see yourself down below, I'd like you to go ahead and now drop down into your body, right down into that moment. 15 minutes past the successful completion of that event and just see whatever you'd be seeing hear whatever you'd be hearing in that moment and feel how you'd be feeling check in with your breathing check in with how you'd be holding yourself notice how good you feel that you've done what you've done and completed that task successfully. Great, and as you've noticed this, go ahead and mentally grab a hold of those feelings. Get in touch with them and grab a hold of them. And just float up out of your body with those positive feelings and whatever you've learned in that process. And Turning towards the present moment, just drift back slowly towards the present moment, only as quickly as you can notice along the way that there were all form of decisions and choices and preparations that had to be made in order to get you there. And your unconscious can just notice those things as you take these positive feelings right back with you until you get directly above this room, hovering over this very moment, the present moment. Just drop down into your body with those positive feelings, and when you're here now, you can open your eyes. Welcome back. How was that? All right. That was was great, actually. Yeah. Great. It really was. Um, it was simple and it was really helpful to connect to a moment of success nice. and to just feel what that felt like. Um, I can feel it now in my body. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's a real feeling. I mean, the, the physiology of that feeling is there. So yeah, I, you have it's, that feeling. it really happened, you know, um, it feels great. I feel like, um, I will be able to relax and prepare the way that I need to prepare. Great. You know, in order to 
reverse engineer the steps that I need to take that led to success. So it's almost like success is inevitable now. It is. You, you know? have a memory of a future yeah. success. Wow. <laughs> Which is... That is pretty par awesome. <laughs> paradoxical, but it's real now for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos demonstrates a technique for overcoming feelings of guilt and regret while still honoring the lessons they have to teach us. We then move on to a discussion of the ideas of Sigmund Freud and how they might be updated to include insights from the fields of hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming. This segment includes visualization and a change of state. So as before, if you're driving, operating heavy machinery, spearheading an alpine rescue mission, or disarming an explosive device, we ask that you set aside these tasks while you listen to the episode for your safety and the safety of others. regret that I can share. Uh, I've had this regret since seventh grade. And uh, what happened was me and my, my buddies, Danny and Stevie and Anaheim, you know, uh, I was in seventh grade and I was staying over near their place and we all had BB guns. Ah. And so I was in the backyard and, you know, we just for, you know, weeks and weeks, we we're just shooting things and, you know, with, with our BB guns. And I looked way off in the distance and there was a really tall cypress tree and there was a bird at the very tip of the cypress tree and it was really far away. And I didn't even, I barely even aimed. I just sort of pointed my rifle in that general direction and I pulled the trigger because I thought there's just no way I'm ever going to hit that bird. And I hit the bird. And then the, the bird like made a, you know, a noise and fell off the tree and we all looked at each other like, oh! and so we dropped our guns and we ran out to the front and, you know, ran over there and the, and it was a, it was a black bird and it was, it was on the ground. It was obviously very badly injured, you know? Mm. Um, and we picked it up and we took it into the backyard and I felt like a total jerk. I mean, talk about, I, I felt shame and, you know, mm. <laughs> talk about regret. I, I, right. I really had regretted like, Oh, what a stupid thing. Why'd you do that? You know, like, yeah. Yet at the same time I was thinking, but what were the chances I was going to hit that bird? It's, it's like, you know, it's like throwing a basketball like 50 yards and accidentally making the basket. It was just right. so out of the ordinary that I would have connected on that BB gun, you know, with, with that bird. And so I had the very uh, unpleasant job of finishing the bird off because it was, it was obviously very injured and, and we needed to put it out of its misery. Mm -hmm. And um, I shot it several times and it wasn't dying. And you know me, you guys know me, I mean, right. Mr. Vegetarian, you know. Right. Um, and, uh, and so it, it took a lot of effort to um, put that bird out of its misery. <clears throat> and I have so regretted that decision ever since then. And it, it's something that loops in my, my mind regularly. Would you like to um, 
experience something that might help to heal that. I've been waiting since seventh grade to do something like that. So okay. yeah, I, I would. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Sure. sure. Um, that's a, a really appropriate thing to share in the moment. And I just appreciate you as a human being for um, being willing to be vulnerable and authentic in this uh, to share with us. I really think that's um, one of your most amazing qualities besides how kind you are oh, as a human well, thank being. Thank you. Thank you, but, Mr. Carlos. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, and secondly, uh, I appreciate it because there probably will be other people who will hear this that will get something of value beyond what we're getting in this room. So thank you for that too. All right. Um, so before anything happens, um, I think it's important to acknowledge that whatever it is that you were holding in all this time, mm-hmm. um, kind of treat it like it's a, an entity or a, uh, an aspect of your intelligence or, or of your energy or of your spirit. I think okay. it's important to just acknowledge it and say thank you to yourself for um, the opportunity that it's giving you to grow and heal and okay. that you carried it all this time for the purpose of actually healing it. And so, um, thank your unconscious mind for making that aware, um, being present in this moment and for, uh, showing itself to you in the way that it has so that you can move forward and heal. Um, and that you're also, uh, at this moment, it'd be good to apologize to yourself and that energy for holding it for so long and not allowing it to be free. Because in a way, by holding that memory, um, you trapped it. You trapped the energy of it. You trapped the, um, the negative feelings. And you didn't allow it to express itself fully by uh, moving on and um, merging with other qualities. So you just, an honest moment of um, apology. Ask for forgiveness. Um, the spirit of the bird or the intelligence of that bird or that quality that you have in your internal representation that represents the bird, all of it. And then float up out of your body and just go back in time towards that moment, that moment where you're there aiming the gun. And as you do that, have you found the spot where it is? Okay. So just drop down into it for a moment and just notice that there's a part where you went through this behavior and it led to a certain result. You took an action, it led to a result that you regretted. And then I want you to float up and out of that and go just five minutes before that moment as if you hadn't done it. So so you're literally floating back five minutes before you made the decision to pull the trigger. Are you there? Okay, so drop down into that moment. And I want you to ask yourself what your values are. Just ask yourself what's important to you. And just check in and see if you have a clear mindset around what you would like to do. What's your behavioral choice? What's your um, intent? What are your beliefs about violence? What are your beliefs about what's fair and right to do in in a situation like that, since you're around this BB gun and how to use it and the seriousness of it and seriousness of your choices and get really clear on what your values are. When is it appropriate 
to use a weapon like that? And when is it not okay? And when you've got that, give me a little nod when you're when you're clear on it. Okay, you're nodding, good. So decide that this is how you're going to behave from this point forward. Like really commit yourself to upholding your own values, sticking to your own rules. Really decide on that. Take that and just come up out of the situation. So you're floating above the situation with that decision. And also, invite your unconscious mind to add any learnings that may be there. Like, um, ask your unconscious mind, what is there to learn from this event? The learnings of which will really help you to understand something about yourself and about the universe, about your life. And just invite that to come in along with that decision. And maybe take a moment and recognize that there may have been some character traits that you developed as a result of the negative experience. For example, you might have learned that your decisions have impact, that you need to be more careful about the decisions you make. That might have been a characteristic that you took with you. Maybe you became a very responsible person because of it. So just acknowledge whatever character traits you may have developed from that moment. And taking with you the character traits, the positive learnings, and that really strong decision that you made about living up to your values. Take it all with you and float back towards the present moment with all your positive learnings, character traits, and your decision to live up to your values. And then drop down into your body with that positive feeling so that from this moment forward, you're carrying with you all of those qualities with you. And when you're back in the room, back in your body, here in the present moment, open your eyes. Were you able to let go of the negative feelings and keep with you the uh, positive intent? Yeah, I believe I was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I um, I was able to um, uh, develop a method for how to make certain decisions now. Cool. So from you know, yeah, from here in the future, though, so you you would have yeah. a lot more clarity on what it does, what you would decide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I, I feel like. Um, uh, if I could teach another young person in a similar situation, these are the rules for how to know what to do. Nice. If you're in these kinds of situations and, um, and you'll, you'll be okay. And you can all, you can always be confident with your decision. If you, if you follow this principle. Cool. Yeah. So did it take some of the negative charge off of it? Well, let me check in with it yeah. a little bit and, and, and see. Yeah, 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 it really did actually. Okay. Yeah, 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 it did. Yeah. Good, because if there's any if there's any mm -hmm. residual feelings, there's more we can do if that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that there's there's a certain um, vulnerability that I've always had when I think about that. 
sure. that situation. And there is a little bit of that, but, but is that vulnerability? It's okay. Yeah. Is that, is that vulnerability okay to be in there? Like yeah. in other words, is it part of your strategy for remembering um, how to behave in the future? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, in that yes. case, I, you don't want to do anything about it. That's It's serving yeah. a good purpose. I, I feel okay about it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, good. I feel okay then. about that. So, so you know why that's important and why I ask that is because um, as a human being, having had that negative experience, if you mm. had a negative charge around it and it wasn't something that was appropriate, then if you saw somebody else behaving inappropriately, because you had that experience built up, you might as a reaction overreact in anger mm-hmm. and fear when you're talking to somebody else who's about to do something. Yeah. And instead of being clear and wise in your communication, you might snap at them. You might um, mm-hmm. overreact because yeah. you had the old wound that you were carrying with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. Wow. Cause you know, I mean, I, I've, I've always been a empathetic, compassionate person. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm one of the people that will do my best to uh, capture a spider in a cup and take them outside, right. you know, rather than squash the spider. And or or I might tell somebody else, "Hey, hey, hold on, hold on, just don't don't, don't step on it. Let, let's just let's just scoop it up and take it outside." You know, that's that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I don't freak out if somebody, you know, does squash a bug. That's okay with me to a certain extent. I mean, I get it. You know, we all have our different ways of dealing with it, but. Um, the lesson that I was able to get clear on, and this is what I liked about this technique you just took me through is, mm-hmm. is the focus on the clarity of the value really is helpful. Yeah. It's really, really helpful. And now I understand like, you know, there could be times when it would be okay to shoot a bird with a BB gun. Right. Um, and, and I think I'm very clear now on, on what, what, what the principle is. The principle is, um, you only do actions like that when they are intended to preserve proximal life. Right. Which is to preserve the life that is as close to your center as possible. If I had to shoot a bird to feed myself or to feed my family and my friends, you know, or if I had to shoot or, or harm another creature in order to protect the life, you know, like a security issue or something like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. then what I understand is, is um, that is the principle. And I know never ever to point a weapon or I could teach a child that this is the principle, the way to responsibly handle a BB gun or a bow and arrow or a gun or your martial arts skill or a knife or whatever it is, right. is to follow the principle of, right? Um, you only use those things to preserve life. Even if taking the life of something else is with the clear intent of preserving life elsewhere because it's proximal, it's close to you that's the principle to follow. And I feel very clear about that now. Yeah. It's no, you're noticeably more clear about it as if you're mm-hmm. really in touch with how you feel and your values. And that, that is exactly mm-hmm. the purpose. Of yeah. That. And, and you know what, you know what I noticed too, as, as we're having this conversation is mm-hmm. that I would feel better about taking a necessary life if it matched those values. And I wouldn't hesitate if it was not a time to hesitate. Yeah. You know, like this is not a safe time to hesitate but I might've hesitated before that serves an you additional hidden so, yeah. benefit there. Yeah. So there we go. So, well, thank you for that. You're Carlos. welcome. That was, um, I, I've been carrying that one for a very, very, very long time. And, uh, I, I, I feel a little bit lighter tonight. Good. That's really good. Yeah. And you know, um, you don't have to hang on to any negative emotion if there's learning. That's the whole thing is that the thing that 
that um, we talk about a lot is that nature abhors a vacuum, even when it comes to philosophical and, uh, you know, meaning questions. I mean, if, if we have a negative emotion of any kind, uh, the thing that, that you do when you do these processes is you don't just empty it out, you replace it with something else. And that thing that you replace it with is a learning. Hmm. You know, we, we use that, um, that verb learning, um, as a noun in this case, a nominalization. We, it's almost like a thing, you know, we, yeah. we want that tranced, uh, tranced out, um, subjective experience of the word learning because, um, you need to employ those parts of your mind, you know, the tranced, you know, the trance part of your mind that, that can understand things in a chunked up abstract way. If you take an example, like probably everybody knows, um, somebody either themselves or, uh, a young child who's been afraid of the dark. Oh yeah. I remember being afraid of the dark. Yeah, me too. And, you know, put the nightlight on or give them a flashlight. You could say that that, um, negative feeling of fear of the boogeyman or whatever it is, is that we'll call that the, the negative feeling. And most people do grow out of the idea that you need to have a light on. In fact, some people will start to get annoyed if you leave the light on when they're trying to sleep. Right. It's the opposite. So what happens to allow a person to go from being afraid and having you know, been basically stuck in a negative emotion to feeling totally okay with being in the dark? And I can explain it this way, that when a learning happens and that learning becomes unconscious, they become unconsciously competent at understanding that thing. It replaces the need for the fear. So the fear is serving some purpose at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever that purpose may be. But when it's no longer serving a purpose, let's say you give them a flashlight and you, you tell them that, hey, as long as you have this flashlight, you're good because you can always turn it on at any point. The light comes on, there's no darkness. And nothing can withstand that. Well, true or untrue, they have that, they hold it, they feel more secure. And maybe the first few nights they do flash their light around the room mm-hmm. and they're just like looking under the covers and looking under the bed. Or maybe you put a little night light on. Or maybe um, the babysitter or the father or the mother comes in and says, okay, let's look in the closet. Let's look under the bed. Let's, you know, let's flip on the light. Let, you know, let, you're okay. And doing that a few times... After a while, um, that conscious experience of having the light switched on becomes a memory and it starts to sink in more and more on the unconscious level mm-hmm. until they remember, every time you think of the, the boogeyman, they remember the seven other times that they were helped, the seven other times they used their flashlight or whatever. Okay. And all of a sudden they start to go, well, maybe I'll be okay. And that's when that learning starts sinking in and suddenly they go to bed and they fall asleep and there's no worry whatsoever because the positive learning has replaced the negative emotion and there's no room for it. Usually people don't go back to it. Like once the fear of the dark is gone, it just doesn't come back. Yeah. And that's true for any negative emotion, fear, anger, sadness, shame, hurt, guilt, all of that. If a positive learning comes in, and it's a sufficient positive learning, um, it will always replace a negative feeling. And the definition of a learning in this case would be, it's got to be about yourself, and it's got to be something you can take with you in the future, and it's got to be positive. 
So if it's like, mm, if you're learning nice. as well, I learned that there are just a bunch of jerks in the world. That's not a learning in this definition. Okay. A learning would be, well, I realized that it doesn't matter so much what other people are, how they behave. What matters is how I feel on the inside and that I don't need to absorb other people's negativity. I can believe in um, my own inner light, my own uh, personal power. That would be an, an example of a positive learning because that's something yeah. you can you can take with you into the future and you can apply it to that particular situation as well. So very nice. Yeah. That was great. I got I gotta just report um how good I feel right now. Okay. I, I really do. As I mean this this technique that we just did is just rather simple. You know, it didn't seem like there's a whole lot to it, right? It didn't yeah. sound like much maybe to an outside observer, but to me right now, um, I have that good feeling in my body like I just got out of the jacuzzi and all's right in the world. I yeah. have a great night's sleep and there's it's a, tomorrow's a day off. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah. have that, that nice feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lot of pressure that came off. That's great. Yeah, great. Carlos, could you give a synopsis of that technique, like the, uh, the bullet points? First of all, presupposition number one is if you're getting guilt or regret, understand that that's a message from your unconscious mind that you did not live up to your values. So acknowledge it. And then go back to the point in time where the event took place, the event that you're hearkening uh, back to when you feel bad about it, go five minutes before that, before you did or made the choice that caused you to feel regret. And once you're there, when you're not feeling that you've done the thing that you did, okay, so you're five minutes before it, you ask your unconscious mind to really help you to establish what your values are around it. Um, decide um, what your rules are and how you're going to live up to it. And then you kind of float up and just sort of allow your unconscious mind to sort of open up to the wisdom, the flow of wisdom that you have. Uh, call it, you know, your inner genius or whatever. And you ask that inner genius to really help you to live by that set of rules that you have for yourself and lock it in. You kind of just make a determined decision that you're going to do that from this moment forward. So remember, you're five minutes before you did the, the thing that you regretted and you decide that you're going to live up to your values. And if you want to, you can ask for um, any kind of learnings that may have may be helpful. Like you can say, hey, uh, divine genius or inner genius or unconscious mind, uh, what could I learn right now in this point that would help me to live more truly in accordance with these values? And you could reflect on how um, certain decisions maybe caused you to be more of a person of character, for example. How, how have the negative things in your life um, caused you to be more, um, well, more determined, more focused, more compassionate, more understanding, and so on. And then you just take all those feelings subjectively with you, and you float back into the present moment. So you're, you're moving past the point where you did it, and you're taking all that positive feeling, and you're dropping down into your body, right into the present moment, accepting that you're bringing with you all of your positive decisions, um, and all the positive learnings and any character traits that you may have gained along the way. And then you just open your eyes and you, there, then you're there. 
Um, so it's, this is what we would do for one-time guilt. Like you have a, you don't have a series of things that, that, that you feel is causing the guilt, but there's one in particular thing that caused you to feel that way. And it's a great way to release that finally. Because basically if you, if you're living up to your values, there's no reason to feel guilty at all. So by doing this in a sort of semi hypnotic or a tranced out way, you're, you're getting more of your emotions involved and you're, you're making that decision at a deeper level. Is that pretty clear? Yeah, that, that seems clear. Like something I could do on my own. Yes, you absolutely can do this on your own. This is the method in NLP for releasing one-time guilt. Oh, cool. Yeah. So guilt is a message from your unconscious that somehow you haven't been living up to your own values. Right. So you have to know whether those are values you still want to live up to. Because if they are, then this technique is perfect. If it's, if, if there needs to, I should have said this before, when you're back five minutes before, if those values are no longer valid, you can change your values at that point. You can say, from this point forward, this is how I'm going to live. So the point is, decide on what your values are and live up to those values. You can change them at that point, but you're not going to change them after. Because once you decide on what it is, you stick to it. What's interesting is um, we're just talking about you know um, this coming from the subconscious, yeah, right. And I just actually had this conversation with my students uh, yesterday in class. You did, um, and it came up because we were talking about um, the psychodynamic model mm-hmm. that's you know uh, used in occupational therapy in the field of mental health, and the psychodynamic model uh, was borrowed from or it really is uh, the psychoanalytical concepts that came Mm -hmm. from Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung and those kinds of things. And what our conversation was about was um, the development of anxiety. Um, And it wouldn't have to just be anxiety. It could, it could be things like anxiety, guilt, perhaps shame, you know, any, any sort of negative emotion that carries a feeling of angst of some sort with it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, we were talking about, first of all, how the psychodynamic model is not really used today in modern practice, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was in the past and how a lot of that is because it's not as practical, you know, that maybe it didn't work as well. And there are other models and other things that we use today that work. However, the language of the psychoanalytical or psychodynamic model from Freud and Jung and all those, those sorts of people is very much a part of our current culture. You know, like when we talk about mm. a defense mechanism, right. say, that's totally, you're, you're totally projecting your issues on me. Right. You know, that comes from the psychoanalytical model, right? Freudian slip. Yeah, Freudian slip. Um, uh, transference. Yeah, transference and all those kinds of things, right? And so, mm. so for anybody who's not familiar with this. Penis it's, envy. It's, yeah, penis envy. Right, right. Um. Reverse penis envy. Very nice. Um, we could go on and on. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that it's helpful to understand what Freud's model was for why anxiety comes out. Mm. 
this is very helpful. And even in this conversation that we just had is somewhat dependent on what Freud was teaching. A yeah. little bit, a yeah, little bit. We owe to it. Yeah, e- even though it has deviated quite a bit from his original ideas, we're still borrowing some of those internal representations that he offered us you yeah. know, to use. Um, so if it's okay, I'd like to just kind of summarize and explain please. where this comes from. Yeah, please Because do. I had a little breakthrough myself that I feel... Um, I feel that I, I learned this technique that you just did on me a little while ago to help me with my uh, my regret. Uh-huh. You know, um, it, it came at a perfect time because oh, cool. I just had a little internal, um, you know, epiphany uh, yesterday as I was thinking about this. So, so here's the way it works. Um, so Freud said that the mind, you know, uh, a, a human mind has three basic aspects, right? And so many people are familiar with this. For those who are not, uh, it's the id, the ego, and the superego. And the id is like the little inner child um, that wants what it wants and wants it now. And the superego is sort of uh, your inner mother superior who chastises you and scolds you for your dirty thoughts. And, you know, uh, that's that sort of model that we all all can, can relate to a little bit. And then uh, the, the id and the superego are always in battle with each other, right? And so the child within wants to eat right now. And then the superego says, no, you have to wait until it's dinner time. And there's this battle going on all the time because if the id was going to run the show, then we'd all be running around naked, grabbing everything that we wanted. And right. And so then the superego says, no, you can't do that. But then the superego can be overbearing and make you feel ashamed for who you really are. And you know, and so on and so forth. Right. And so then the job of the ego is to sort of be the referee between the superego and the id and help strike a balance. Now, this idea of anxiety or various feelings of angst. If the ego is not able to strike a balance between the id and the superego, and we have a conflict between the, the, the superego and the id, then anxiety results. So there are physical manifestations of, you know, if, if, like, if I'm feeling like... Oh, Oh, I'm having breathlessness and my heart's pounding and I'm feeling nervous and I don't know why. And right, it's because according to the psychoanalytical model or the psychodynamic model, it's because these two aspects of my subconscious self are having a fight and it's mm. not being resolved. Right. And what I like about um, a lot of the NLP techniques that I've seen you do and I've experienced with you and uh, anything, in fact, in life that I think actually works, right, yeah. is sometimes we have to change those inner um, those inner frameworks of what we believe is true. And and I think where some of the psychoanalytical stuff has maybe not worked in real practice is because it's under the model. There's sort of a presupposition that there's a battle going on, and so we're moving into this idea that I'm fighting with myself. But that's only one possibility, isn't it? Right. I mean, your, your, your superego and your id don't have to be at odds with each other. Why can't they have a loving relationship? You know, like a little, like a little while ago, um, well, we have, we have some dads here, right? Oliver, we're in Oliver's living room right now, and he, he's a wonderful dad. And I've told him that if I was to be reincarnated as a kid, I'd love to have him as my dad, right? <laughs> and, um, you know. You have to clean your room and practice your piano. 
can I change my mind about the, no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're right. <laughs> so, so, you know, I watch you Oliver. you know, how you work, how, how you interact with your, with, with your kids. And, uh, I think that is a much better model for looking at the super ego and the id. And what I did yesterday is in the evening, I was thinking about this, this idea. And I realized why can't my id, my inner child who's fearful or, or, maybe makes mistakes or wants things the, the way it wants and wants them now, right? Why can't it just go to my super ego for advice? And why can't my super ego just give it a big hug and reassure it and let it know that it's going to be okay and that together the two of them can figure things out and that they're going to be awesome together and that it can always rely on the super ego and the super ego can always yeah. ask the id, you know what, we have a lot of work to do and I know you've been pent up. Would it be okay if you released a little bit of energy so that we can... We can get something done, you know, because they can they can have a good relationship. Why not? Self reparenting. Yeah. Yeah. All in your own subconscious. That's a great a great way to frame it, and totally different than than the way he would have put it. You know, he being Freud. But I like I think I think what, the way you put it that way um, makes so much more sense. Freud was um, Freud appeared in at least from reading the the bit that I've read from him. He seems to be afraid of unconscious processes in general. I mean, he expressed a lot more angst and uh, a lot more disturbing kind of descriptions uh, were given about the unconscious. He almost thought of it as just sort of the realm of, of great danger, like this immense dragon of um, selfish, violent, unpredictable behavior was coming out of the unconscious mind. And, and that was the huge um, battle between Carl yeah. Jung and him. Because Carl Jung thought, well... Yeah, that exists, but also so much beauty and all the religions of the world and mysticism and, um, you know, the gods and demigods and angels and, and uh, human compassion. And he, he loved dreams. He loved, yeah. um, you know, he, he didn't see the unconscious mind as something to be afraid of. Yeah, right. Yeah. The whole Freudian idea or that, that whole psychoanalytical model says that in order to avoid that anxiety that comes up when you're having this conflict between the id and the superego is we create these defense mechanisms. And I like to think of it as um, putting a wall between the two. So like, for example, um, let's say that um, I'm in denial about something. Well, denial is a defense mechanism that prevents me or helps me avoid a lot of anxiety. No, 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 really. No, it's not that big of a deal. No, really, it isn't. It's a way of avoiding anxiety. When somebody um, splits, when somebody does splitting, splitting is the idea of saying that maybe like all the staff in the hospital are either good or they're bad. You know, in one moment, you know, I got a popsicle and so this is the greatest hospital and these staff members are so wonderful and then they do something I don't like and know everybody here is just awful and terrible and miserable and mean, you know, okay. it's like, it's like that's polarizing. A, yeah. It's polarizing. Thing. Yeah. And, and, and what does that do? It, it prevents a certain amount of conflict in our subconscious self, you know? So at least that's what it's trying to do. That's what it's trying to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a bandaid that gets yeah. you through the moment sorta. Right. Yeah. But, but what's funny is when you start to look at this as not being a conflict as being a partnership, a mutually supportive partnership, there's no need for the defense mechanisms. Yeah, well, you have to presuppose something. Yeah. And the way you're presenting it um, is a more inclusive, uh, harmonious way to presuppose that um, 
the parts of you are behaving towards one another. Whereas the presuppositions in a lot of the earlier Freudian works is this presupposition of, of battle, conflict, resistance, um, you know, danger and so on. Um, and it, it served a purpose definitely. Uh, but there are certain limitations to looking at it that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, there's a reason why, um, the way, you know, strictly Freudian philosophy, Freudian, uh, models of, of, uh, uh, psychology are less in vogue these days because there really are some major limitations that were, um, taken up, um, or improved upon by other methods. And I think when you, when you read, define the psychoanalytic model the way you do, it creates a presupposition of cooperation, of family, of um, unification, ultimately, because you're talking about yeah. a family unit. Milton H. Erickson, uh, was some of where I think NLP got that idea, that, that presupposition that your unconscious mind is your best friend. Your unconscious mind is um, the source of goodness, and it's to be trusted rather than uh, feared. And so if you're seeing behavior that's coming up from an unconscious level uh, that is less than desirable, um, it's just a question of re-educating, a question of um, uh, allowing an understanding and, and building communication so that you get better and better behavior rather than assuming it was working against you. You assume the positive. You, it's like there's a presupposition in NLP, which is um, uh, that you separate behavior uh, from intention and you, you, know, you also separate people from their behaviors, but you also presuppose that there's a positive intent behind even the most negative behaviors. And you look for that. So if you assume that your unconscious mind that is causing you to smoke, for example, if you presuppose that there's a positive intent behind it, it's a lot easier to satisfy that positive intent by showing and teaching or re-educating yourself how to attain that positive result in a different way that's more healthy rather than the way it was attempting to do it, which might have reflected an earlier earlier way of looking at things. I mean, maybe from the 15-year-old um, who wants to get away from an abusive home from that mindset, smoking was a way of bonding with friends and escaping from the pressures of the house. But later on when they're 35 and they're got their own family and, and they want to keep their health, that, that old model doesn't work anymore. But the, but the intent behind it was forgotten, even though it's, it's in there in the unconscious, but consciously they don't remember why the founders of, um, the co-founders of NLP, uh, studied a lot of Milton Erickson's work and incorporated um, the language and, and some of the models around how to view the, the unconscious mind. He was the story master in, in a certain way um, because he could, he sort of seemingly effortlessly could just um, be having a conversation with you and he'd be telling you little anecdotes from his own life or some of his students. And as he was weaving these stories into his conversation with you, somehow your unconscious mind would get that he's speaking directly to you while consciously it would seem like he's just sharing some stories. So he was just a master of weaving those ideas in and people would often leave, uh, 
you know, they would go home and, and find that the problem was gone or um, they wouldn't even, it'd be like this sort of moment where they'd realize, huh, he did it again. <laughs> he helped me in this way that, so he, they called him the wizard of the desert because he lived out in, in the desert in Arizona. But yeah, he, he had a, a way about him and he, he was, there's a lot of great stories about him. Speaking of stories, uh, just him um, being in front of his students, like he had incredible sensory acuity. For example, um, one time he was, he was in a class and his students thought, oh, let's see if, how sensory acute um, he can be. And so they, he had some tiny little, um, like a little figurine or something like that, or a set of figurines up on a shelf. And there were lots of little things all around the room. And what they did is they just, I think they did something like they turned one of the figurines like a quarter turn when he wasn't in the room. And they sort of went around, went about their business talking and having a class. And and he finished the end of the night by basically calling them on it. Like he said, oh, and by the way, they all thought he forgot something. Like they for, like he did, he missed it and he wasn't going to say anything. And, and he's like, oh, by the way. And he, he referred to this figurine in a metaphorical way. Mm-hmm. And he also referred to in his speech patterns that, that, um, that they had made some kind of a change and people were dumbfounded because he often did that. And he, he was almost like a mentalist in some respects. He didn't believe in the supernatural and the way that, you know, spiritualism and all that stuff. But people often accused him of being psychic because he, he was so good at paying attention. People around him, uh, dropped into trance with him because he was so, inductive his personality was so inductive it kind of sucked you into a an experience and um jeffrey zeig z-e-i-g dr jeffrey zeig was a longtime student of his and he he always speaks with great affection and admiration about the charisma that his teacher had and and how milton erickson um, used to just sort of say things to him and he would feel like instantly uh entranced by him like a magical spell had come over him kind of like you know, and that in those states of mind, really profound things would happen. So in one sense of the word, it was a magical experience being with him because he was that good. talking about the psychoanalytic model and even though that's gone out of vogue mm-hmm. i think at some level if people haven't done any self-inquiry like if they don't if they haven't really um thought about their life philosophically and really wondered about why they feel the way they feel it has value in that sense i think yeah um, still to, to do inquiry and to discover who you really are and where yeah. you came from and maybe to start asking questions about the relationship that you had as you modeled your parents growing up and sure, who you've become yeah. as a result. And, and then there's that whole sort of CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy model where it's just focused on um, mindfulness and um, observate, careful observation of the, the steps and processes involved in, in various feelings and desensitizing yourself after understanding the steps. Yeah, uh, That's a very long approach in comparison to NLP. But in comparison to psychoanalysis, it's a very short amount of time. Right, exactly. Because psychoanalysis, uh, you know, 
took a lifetime. Right. <laughs> you know, years yeah. and years and years. It could be like, you know, to deal with a phobia might take you 15 years, yeah. 10 years or something. And then with CBT, maybe uh, a year or six months or something like that. Whereas yeah. something, a brief therapy like hypnosis or mm-hmm. um, neuro-linguistic programming, you're talking about an hour or less right, sometimes right, right. for a phobia. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.